0: Today, we are joined by Adriana Stallard.
1: Through the last several years, her family has endured so, so much infertility, unexpected pregnancy, unexpected diagnosis for her and her daughter, a long NICU journey, subsequent surgeries. Tune into this equally hard and hope filled episode to hear more. Good morning, Adriana. Thanks so much for. Agreeing to be on the podcast, I'm looking forward to sharing your story. Thank you for having me, Kathy. Of course. All right. Let's start with
0: an introduction about you and your family. So, like you mentioned, my name is Adrienne Stallard. Uh, My husband's name is Devin Stallard, and we have a three-year-old boy named Gunner, and we have a one-year-old. She'll be two in April, and her name is Abigail. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about Abigail. Just because she was an NDP for so long. We live in Strasburg, Virginia. We just recently moved to this new home. It was like, my night. I would stay at home long. So sometimes I go to bed late, sometimes I wake up early, but most of the time I'm getting to the point where I just go to bed kind of early and wake up really early. Sometimes I need my quiet time before he comes to.
1: Yeah, that's totally understandable. Let's talk about the stories of your perinatal trauma. And I like to encourage my guests that this is their episode. They get to kind of pick and choose how deep they want to go, how deep they don't want to go. So this is your stage, so to speak.
0: Yeah. With Gunner, we had issues I had issues getting pregnant. Um, we tried for over a year. Wow. And so I was young, I was only twenty five and um, all the tests were coming back normal. It was the only thing that they could figure out was that I had insulin resistance, and I had no idea. So we went through infertility treatment, you know, uh, and that took a lot of savings away. Um. so with that, we thankfully we got pregnant the first time. So with him, I had a pretty smooth pregnancy. I delivered 39 weeks via C-section. And it was fun getting to, I got to be a first time mom and he was really healthy and So that was fun. But since we had infertility treatment for him, um, my husband and I thought we were going to have to have another treatment for another child. I just, is it okay if I ask about your C-section? Was that
1: a planned C-section? Was that your choice? How was that decision made?
0: So I was either way. It didn't really matter if I had a C-section or natural, but Mm -hmm. I didn't really have it natural because he was breached. Uh, oh, they okay. wanted to do the whole turnaround thing where they manually turn them around. But I was afraid of doing that just because I've heard really bad things about it. And thankfully, I didn't do that because when he was born, the political core would drop around his neck. because so if I would have done that, I would have probably have choked up. Oh, wow. So that one's good.
1: Isn't it funny the way that God helps you make decisions of things that you don't know and then in hindsight, it's kind of...
0: Yeah, yeah it's really cool. And I recovered pretty fast from the C-section.
1: Mm, yeah. Good.
0: So it was really good. But, so, oh, oh, yeah, so with Abigail, um, like I mentioned before, we thought we were going to have to have another treatment. And so we we got to really do anything to prevent the pregnancy for that way. Because we thought, hey, I'm infertile, whatever. So five months after, about five months after I had Gunner, her, I got pregnant with her. And with her, my pregnancy was way different from time oh, I got wow. pregnant and I started to be sick. I was sick the whole time until I was four months along. long. Hmm. And so it was like, I was always tired and I'm like, I couldn't eat because everything, you know, down the toilet and I'm like, it was a mess. But with her, because I have of a chordate uterus, and that's when your uterus is shaped like a heart. It's your ear uterus is split like a heart. So oh, you interesting. kind of have like two sides. Oh, okay. So with Gunner, he was on the bigger side of my uterus, but with Abigail, she was on the smaller side of my uterus. So because of that, I had extra monitoring. And so instead of going to my first open appointment at eight weeks, I think I went in four weeks. You know, pretty much, as I got pregnant. But with her, pretty much since the moment I got pregnant with her, they just always were like, oh, I think there's something wrong with her. I'm like, how do you know there's something wrong with her if she's so little? I guess as I started to progress in my pregnancy and they were able to see her more, I guess in the ultrasound, she became bigger. I got then to our total fetal, you know, the high-risk OBGYN. Because yes, it seemed like she wasn't growing at the normal rate. Okay. So I went to my fetal and they did the whole measuring and whatever. And I think she was like measuring like two weeks behind or something. So at the end of my appointment with fetal, they said that they thought she had something called trisomy 18. I don't know if you ever heard of that. I have heard of that. I had a coworker whose son had it. Yeah. So, I had, I had never heard of it. Like a normal person, I came home and I looked it up, and um, it terrified me when I got home and looked it up. But pretty much what the doctor told me at that point was that it was best for me to abort the baby at that point. That she would give wow. me the papers right away to go to the hospital and abort it. And now I could start all new. That she was for sure that the baby had trisomy 18. And she promised me, oh, you know, like, why are you gonna wanna carry a baby that has issues where you can just get pregnant again? And oh, I was so upset. I was so upset. I can imagine how upsetting that moment was. Yeah, I was only like 12 weeks along. I'm like, how are you gonna know? We're only 12 weeks along, you know? They wanted me to do like the amniotic fluid testing, and I'm like, I'm like, not doing all that. And then we really talked about doing like some kind of spinal testing for me, and I'm like, I'm a, not doing all that. The only thing I'm doing for you guys is blood tests. That's all I'm doing right now. And so, I think she got kind of aggravated because I think she wanted me to either want to board it or do like amniotic testing at that point. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't feel comfortable with amniotic testing because I had a friend who yeah. said and made her go into like return labor. I saw him on and you know, I cried on the wave and I was upset and I told my husband about it. When you start looking up stuff like that, and a lot of times... It's really discouraging what you see. A lot of times, yeah. you can kiss them make that long. So, I never went back to her. That was a new maternal fetal I had gone to. So, I went back to the... So, with gone, I also went to maternal fetal because the way my uterus ends. Okay. Um. So, I went to the one I had gone with was done. So, I went back to them, and they're like, well, no, and you're too early for them to be telling you this and that. But the one thing... Is, that doctor said which i trusted was that her jaw was really small it was really pushed back but they didn't think it was down syndrome or nothing like that they just thought maybe she had a small jaw or what we would call mm-hmm. Pierre syndrome which is when i don't know if you ever heard that With small no the so Pierre band syndrome is characterized by a small jaw and a lot to have a cleft palate which she does have um, and that's sometimes they'll have respiratory issues just because their jaw is so pushed back. But that's about it. So I just continued to monitor, you know, go monitoring with my um, maternal fetal. And as she got older or bigger, you know, that still kind of remained the same that she was kind of small, but that she was growing. It's not like she stopped growing, mm-hmm. her jaw was still pretty pushed back. So when I was about 20-something weeks, we started to do blood testing. Um, and at that point, they realized that maybe she, maybe I had some kind of syndrome. Okay. And the blood work. And they sent me also to uh, there's a hospital here in D.C. called Children's National. Yes,
1: I'm familiar. We used to live in the area. Oh, okay.
0: And I think you live in Florida now, right? <laughs> Correct. Yeah, my mom lives in Melbourne. Oh, okay. Yes. That's only, I live in Orlando. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so I went to Children's National, and, you know, they did all this. They did a fetal MRI, which I thought was really cool. And um, I got to talk to the neonatologist and the genetic, and they did blood work, and that blood work confirmed that I have a syndrome called twin cube duplication, and I had no idea how had have the syndrome so all it's cloud. Wow. you know
1: that must have been a lot oh to go through your life and then you become yeah, pregnant
0: because when you go through like and for plenty treatment they offer if you want genetic cause but my husband and I bypassed it like, we're both healthy I've never really had any issues per se you know I went to school and everything so and so um yeah so I just decided that they wanted me to do this blood test kind of see if I I was on a high risk for any kind of syndrome. She she had any kind of syndrome that was passed by me. And if it wasn't passed by me, they were going to test my husband. So, yeah, Pandora had, it's called 22Q duplication. And the funny thing about it is a lot of people have it that you don't know they have. it. Wait, 22Q? Yes, duplication. I'm
1: I'm actually familiar with that because I have another friend whose daughter has that.
0: Yeah, because there's the deletion and then there's the duplication.
1: Okay, I'm not sure which she has.
0: Yeah, the common one is usually the deletion. Um, okay, and duplication is not. It's kind of. It's not that it's not common, but a lot of people have it. They don't only really have it, you know, because mm-hmm. the genetic doctor was telling me that a lot of people. Have, she's like, I think 80 like percent or something like that of people. In the world, have it. Do you think he's gonna only have it. Wow. Yeah. So a it's a pretty. It's a pretty high number up there. But a lot of times, people don't get it for unless they're going through like pregnancy or they're showing some kind of like severe syndromes from mm-hmm. it. Yeah. So that was a lot for me to take in, just because, and here I am. We're telling you gonna have a syndrome I had no idea about. You know. And, like, the other day, I was thinking about it. I don't know if I would have done the genetic testing when I had the treatment for my son. I don't know if I would have gotten pregnant again. Mm. So, it's like, I don't know. I'd kind of go back in no. the twin of my mind lately, you know. I was talking to my husband about it. I don't know if I would have gone pregnant again because I don't want to like hurt a baby. If I knew what happened, there was something that I could pass along. And I don't know if I would have gotten pregnant again just because I don't want to put anybody in pain, especially babies. baby. So, absolutely, yeah. So, But with children's natural, they don't have labor and delivery. So the plan was for me to deliver at Fairfax, the Nova Fairfax, and then have her airlifted to the NICU. But um, the neonatologist there didn't think that. Fairfax would have at the moment of her performing, have the necessary equipment for her. The they're thinking because her jaw is so small that they would have to intubate her right away. Mm-hmm. And Fairfax doesn't have like, an uncle ENT all the time. I had to choose between going to Hopkins, UVA, or
1: BCU. Um,
0: so I, I went to Hopkins and I had my first appointment with them and it went well. Like, no, that's the first time I had ever been to a huge hospital. I'm sure you know about that. But on the way I home, I started bleeding. So I'm like, I it's got And there's, the ne- there's nothing wrong. And now I'm bleeding. Like, I was bleeding a lot and I was cramping a lot. And so I was almost home. I called the nurse from Hopkins and I said, hey, I'm bleeding a you know, lot. Like I'm cramping a lot. What should I do about this? And how far away is this hospital from your house? Hopkins?
1: Oh, yes.
0: Probably a two-hour drive, and that day my dad drove me to Hopkins. he was, He's familiar with the area, and he was also there to watch with his son. Mm-hmm. So we were, and he lives in Ashburn. That's like an hour and a half away from Hopkins. Um, and so we had, like I said, we had stopped for lunch, and I started bleeding. Cripping a lot in. I called my mom and I'm like, is this normal? It's late like in pregnancy, I think I'm like 25 to 26 weeks long. And she's like, no, nah, if you're bleeding, that's not normal. So I called the nurse and they're like, go to your nearest closest hospital at this point. So I went to Fairfax. We were by Fairfax. So I went to Noah Fairfax. Um, and they tell me I was bleeding and they told me that if they couldn't stop my bleeding, that I was going to have to deliver her right there and then. And that terrified me, like she's only, I was only 24, 25 weeks along. She's still little. She was a red wow. already measuring small. So it just terrified me. And so they were able to stop the bleeding when um, they kept me for a couple hours for observation. But they um, they said that they needed to transfer me just in case I start to bleed again. Oh, because they called Hopkins, and Hopkins didn't have a bed for me. So the next option was UVA. So UVA did have a bed for me, so I got airlifted to UVA. So it was a crazy night because it was cold. It was, like, in the middle of February. It's cold. It was windy, and the helicopter was very small. Oh, and trapped you down. I'm like, oh, it was terrifying. So I made it to, like, UVA, like, in the middle of the night. I had never been to UVA before. But it was, yeah. But when I got to UVA, it took me there, I think, for two days for continuous monitoring, and everything turned out fine. And I liked their care so much, or the maternal field specialist there, I liked it a lot. So I just transferred my cure from Hopkins to UVA. And so I would go to okay. UVA for the first part. I don't know. I guess for the first part of my pregnancy, twice every other week, I would go. I um, mean, I would see their maternal fetal there. I just felt like anytime you would go there, I felt like it was always bad news. And so I got to the point in my pregnancy where I just didn't want to go, you know? Where like anytime I would go, oh, well, no, this is wrong with the baby. Now, this is wrong with you. I'm like, I know they're going to mean to be so negative about it, but I think sometimes doctors forget that we're actually humans and that we're not in their medical field. You know, they talk to us like, it's just normal stuff. I'm like, this is not normal stuff to me. Like This is my daughter you're talking about.
1: Absolutely. I think, too, they forget that we're humans with emotions, too, and it matters the way that you tell your patient things.
0: Yes. And so my husband would drive me to UVA because when I had the placental bruction, I think that's what you call it, and when I had the bleeding, they told me that I couldn't drive. Okay. So he would he took off work every time to, to drive me to UVA. But I remember my first appointment at UVA. When I would my go there, they would do an ultrasound. So it was really cool to see her all the time but i just felt like i don't know they were always telling me oh well, the first thing they told me was that she mm-hmm. wasn't having enough blood supply you know the placenta wasn't giving her enough blood supply mm-hmm. and that's why she wasn't growing and then they also told me that i had i think it's called polydreama where you have too much of fluid and um, but tell me that was another reason she might not be growing because she's not having enough room. Mm. And so I just, I think like towards the end of my pregnancy, you know, any time I would go, they would tell me, oh, you need to be ready because you might deliver her tomorrow. Or we might need to take her out tomorrow just because you know, I felt like she was getting less blood supply.
1: And how far along were you at this point where they were telling you, you need to pretty much be ready?
0: any day i think i was about 31 weeks 30 weeks something like that uh yeah so still pretty early yeah and she was measuring small too. you know yeah um, absolutely when she that tall, must have
1: been really scary again
0: yeah it was and just the fact that i i, I had never heard or i had never been to the mic you know, and i had never had a friend that had a baby in the mic you and I think the thing about the NICU is that everybody thinks, you know, everybody has a different perspective when you haven't been through it. But when you're in it, it's a whole different yeah. world. Um, and so that was like, I don't know. Anytime they would tell me, like, oh, she's going to another NICU. Or she might not live past the week. just because her jaw is so small. You know, and I'm like, how do you guys know that? When it got to a point where I would question them, I'm like, how do you guys know this? I'm like, what caused you for sure? She's not going to live past the week. And I started to get upset. I was never being so negative And I'm like, you yeah. so, yeah. So, so I think to, like,
1: I think to your ability to advocate for yourself, this is the second time when you've been talking, I've just really felt like kudos to you for advocating for you and your daughter. Yeah. I feel like a lot of patients don't just, they just kind of go with what the doctor says and it's not a bad thing to be questioning them. Yes.
0: So with UBI, they have a love for nephew, which is obviously the highest level nephew a hospital can have. So I think two or three times, I, because those was kind of post-COVID times, I wasn't able to go to the actual NICU, but the NICU doctors would come to me. I went to a, I just to the medical building I was in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And so I got to talk to them and stuff, and... I don't know. They just made it seem like it was some kind of like sterile, dark place. There was no hope. Or at least the doctor I got to talk to at that point. And then I'm like, oh. And he, I had looked up like Nikki videos and stuff, but when you look up Nikki videos, images it look like a lot of times there's more positive than negatives. But from the doctor's point of view, it was more like a lot of times when kids end up in the Niki, so they're really sick and they might not make it. And the thing about it is that I remember like just talking to different people. I so UVA had a NICU group, so I joined the NICU group on Facebook, and I remember talking to people before she was actually in NICU and asking them questions. And they're like, well "You're in the best NICU you can be in, you know, like you have great doctors and whatever." So that was hopeful, but just the fact of her being in NICU and like. At this NICU, like, you can't stay with them the night. They don't have, like, individual bedrooms. Which is, like, one big old open room. And there's a lot of, like, hmm. abstinence and whatever. And isolates. them. Say that again. So, like, one big open, bench, open room. And they have cribs and isolates and all the kind of stuff. Incubators and all the kind of stuff. So, it's, like, they're, each baby is, like, next to each other. So, you can't wow. sit with them there. And that was terrifying for me. I'm like I don't I don't like the fact that I'm not gonna be able to spend the night with her there. Um yeah, so I'll just kinda go back to the whole appointment phase. Yeah, so I think when I was about thirty three weeks old, I started to have like intense contraction. Um and at that point I called them and said, Hey, I think I um, might be in preterm labor. And they said, no, no, I think it's just normal pregnancy stuff or whatever. You know? So the following, they had an appointment with them, and they told me that I was, I think I was like three or four centimeters dilated. And, uh, but they're like, well, until you get the centimeters dilator, we can't do anything, and you're not having like contractions all the time at this point. I felt kind of decent that day, and so my husband and I went out to dinner that night. But when we got back home, that point, we were also staying with my dad, you know, just because he was helping me with you know, my salary and whatever. Um, But when we got back to his house, I started to bleed again. And I really started to have like my husband was talking my contractions, and they were really. Getting really close together. So I called UVA labor and delivery and they told me to go back to the closest hospital. So I we went to nova Fairfax because they also have a level four new And they realized that I was contracting, I think, every two minutes. Mm-hmm. And so they said, well, at this point, we have to lifting back to the mm-hmm. So I went to UVA and it, um I got to UVA and they realized that was that they said it wasn't. And like after labor, when I was starting to labor, but they didn't know like how long it was gonna take me to dilate to the five centimeters they wanted me to wait. And so my husband, well, I got to UV at like three in the morning, so I told my husband to head back to my dad's house and just to meet me there in the morning. So he got there that morning, and I remember like then giving me like pain medicine for my contractions, and they were giving me stuff to. I stopped her contractions then I was only, at that point, I am only 34 weeks long. And she was stunning. I think a lot of it had to do with how small she was. And so, um, I remember one of the, I guess, Ivy ladies came in the month, put a new eye in. and they were going to be ready. Oh. They were going to be ready just in case I went into labor or they needed to take the ab go out. Ivy lady, I think she was a student. She just kept stabbing me and stabbing me. She, she just kept stabbing me and stabbing me. And I got to the point where I was like, do you need help? Like, can you call someone else to help? You know? And i are like, oh, no, I got this. And like, she just stabbed me more. And like, it got to the point where my, my forearm was starting to burst up. And then my husband was there, about I my husband like. Well, can we get somebody else to help her out? Yeah. So I got somebody else, and they had to bring me, like, an ultrasound IV machine to get the IV in just because my veins were so small. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But towards the evening, like, my contractions, stepped in getting worse, and they're like, Well, we can't really give you much more medicine, you know, because we don't want to over-medicate you just because the baby gets that, too. Absolutely. Amen. So they're not gonna de- deliver you until you're thirty-five weeks. You know, and you're not really showing any symptoms of the baby needing to come out right away. No. They would like do like a I don't they would know. check her heartbeat and contractions. I think like every two hours or whatever. You know how they put that monitor on your abdomen and whatever. And she was fine the whole time. Like she had a good heartbeat. You know, it didn't seem like she was in distress. Well. I told my husband just to head home and grab me some stuff for her. Like, actually come to her house and get some stuff for her. Just in case, whenever she was born. Um, Because they said they are going to keep me until she was born at that point. So, he left to to go to my dad's house to grab some stuff. But then he was going to head to her house and grab more stuff for me and her. He left, and... Two hours after he left, I started to have like full blown on contractions. Wow. And I was at that point, I was, well, at that point, I had moved on to six centimeters, but they wanted me to wait until next morning because they didn't have anybody. They would have to call everybody, and it was getting close to 12 a.m. in the morning or whatever. So, and anyways, they told me, oh, I can give you another dose, you know. All the pain medicine, but I think you're gonna have to wait until tomorrow morning for us to take her out. Oh no, like half an hour I think went by, and I, I started to feel like an elephant was walking on my back. I'm like, there's something wrong, and I'm like, oh, oh. and so I I remember like getting you know, I would, I would have never done this if I wasn't in pain. I got on the hospital floor and I started to roll. Now I'm look, looking for some kind of comfort. And I started doing squats, and I remember I tried different positions in the back. I just wanted to get comfortable. They also had like a reclining chair. And I sat in it for a long time, but it got to a point where I got back to lay down back in the bed, and I called for help because I felt like she was coming out at that point. And so I called for help, and it took the nurse a little bit to get to me because she was with another patient. Okay. Because I was in the labor part of the, I visited the hospital, so there were other people trying to labor too. So I made it to the bathroom because I thought she was coming out. I'm like, she's coming here. I need to be in the bathroom. So I made it to the bathroom, and I felt her coming out, and I pushed, you know how they have an emergency? Then you can pull in the bathroom. I pulled it, and 10 people came rushing to me. And they carried me to the band, and they checked to see if I was and they in the And They're like, yep, for your time to your dialed. You're your full labor. we got to get you to the OR right now. So now it became an emergency. When I had a reward then, my husband and I kept telling me, I think she knows she's going to get close to labor. And so they rushed me and rushed me to the OR. And at that point, I was all by myself. You know, here I am, 12 a.m. in the morning. So I called my husband. And I said, I'm in full-blown labor. They're going to take me to the OR for the emergency C-section. He was two hours away from me. He wasn't going to make it. So, And the thing about it is UVA, I don't know if you've ever heard of UVA before, but it's a huge hospital. It's a medical, like a medical, whatever. When I, since, since it was like 12 a.m., nobody was ready for me. So I had to wait about an hour in the OR for the NICU people. Not for the but for like the ENT people to come, the anesthesiologist for her because they need to do what? surgery. Um, just for everybody to come and the amount of pain was then, and I remember the anesthesiologist yeah. oh. giving me pain medicine and the pain medicine wasn't even working. And I uh, I called that I was in so much pain after the anesthesiologist got like, if you have to put me to sleep, you put me to sleep. I said I- at this point I don't it doesn't matter. If I miss her being born, I would been so much and be like, "Well, we're going to give you all we can give
1: you at this point. How far along are you?
0: So actually, the day she was born, I would have been i would have been thirty five weeks she, she was born sounds thirty five weeks, okay, yeah, so and I think with well, her you know, like I mentioned before, I you know, I was by myself, and we kept telling the doctors that by the time that she was going to come soon. And they're like, no, no, you're dialing too slow at this point. And it's, I don't know, it's just kind of crazy, because right before my husband left, you know, they were giving me pain medicine, but the pain medicine was starting not to work. It was becoming less effective for me. Mm-hmm. My husband, before he left, he told a doctor, I mean, one of the residents, doctors, that that the medicine was becoming less effective. And that was a sign of me, of labor coming really soon. That he didn't want really to leave because there's a chance of Abigail being born over the next couple of hours. And the resident doctor told him, no, you know, she'll, she'll probably be born till tomorrow or a couple of days after or whatever. And so, like I mentioned, my husband left to the house. But it's, I think before, like the more I look back on her birth story, if that's what you want to call it, it's like I actually got to experience natural birth with her. But then I also had to do the C-section. She, when they, I was able to have her naturally just, one, she was too small, but also she was reached. And that was well wow. the fear of, you know, like when I went, like I mentioned before, I went to the bathroom. And I thought she was, like, she was literally coming out. I felt like she was just working herself out. And that was my fear. I'm like, she I know she's reached. If she comes out like that, she might suffocate. And, like I said, like, come doctors. Sure, people came in. And, like, well, you're of later, Like, we got rushed you to the Lord. Now this is an emergency. And I'm thinking to myself, I had a warranty a couple hours ago. And here I am now by myself. No support, no nothing. and. Like, my team was so hard to manage and et cetera. And, like, I was on the, you know how they give you, like, a paper that says how the, everything, the operation went, and whatever, and what they did, and whatever. And there was, like, 50 people in the OR with me. Wow. 50 people. I'm, like, from doctors for me, from to doctors for her. Yeah, so, anyways, after waiting an hour for everybody to get there. They finally took her out, so she was for April 14th at 1.42 in the morning. But the cool thing about that is that's my husband's and I's wedding anniversary, so she was born an anniversary.
1: Oh, that is cool.
0: Yeah, that's cool. I had already called my husband when, I, when they had told me I was in full-blown labor. I called them, and so he got there pretty much where they were closing me up, but they didn't allow him into the operation room, because they were flushing me up already. So he met me in the recovery room, and uh, and obviously I wasn't able to see Abigail or nothing like that just because they kind of violated her right there and then and took her to the NICU.
1: Was the plan for your husband to be in the C-section with you?
0: Yes, and I forgot to mention they had mm-hmm. scheduled already a date for me, me at yeah, 37 weeks because I I was going to make it up four. Yeah, you know, So obviously the plan was for him to be there like your child's doing being born. So you don't want but miss Absolutely. So yeah, so we had, I had already had a day scheduled for the C-section, but I, my husband and I knew I was going to make it that far. I was literally big just the amount of amniotic fluid I had. And they told me no, even though it's still my lower part was due to weak or numb. So, so he got to go see Abigail first and Nick to you and pictures of her and whatever and i remember him coming back and he was also happy you know you know well he's really happy and that means she must be really stable so i think i like around 5 a.m i got to actually go see her in the NICU like he wheeled me to the NICU and i remember seeing her and she looked so peaceful like and the NICU was so peaceful and wow yeah i thought it was gonna uh, be some kind of chaotic doctor screaming for help or, and I don't know I guess in my mind I had an admission oh come help me with this or come help me with this, or, me with this baby you know, and I was beeping and stuff but especially in the NICU there is a lot of beeping you know stuff and crying but at that point when I went to see her it was so peaceful everything seemed so quiet you know, and I think that was I think it was good for me to see that and she wasn't on any kind of oxygen at that point you know, the her nurse told me at that point that she was really stable, you know she was just sleeping. Um and so but one day obviously one day when, they, when she was first born, one of the first tests they did was to check for any common chromosome and see if she had the same chromosome abnormality that I've had. Um mm-hmm. so that test came back I think two days later and um, she did have the 22 Q duplication. But I we gonna know how it was gonna affect her because just because that affects me a certain way, it's not gonna affect her the same way, it might affect her less and it might affect her more, you know.
1: That makes sense.
0: So I I think the big hurdle for her was to make sure that she needed that she was able to breathe without any kind of oxygen. And the first week or so she, she did fine, she had no oxygen. Um, I remember the night and she was born. We went to you, um, and we saw her open her eyes for the first time. So uh, that was really cool. And
1: I'm sorry, say that again.
0: She opened her eyes for the first time and we were there.
1: Oh, that is cool.
0: Um, uh, yeah, so we, because we stayed a weekend, she was born on Thursday. So we were able to stay in the hospital. You know, I was in labor and delivery for the whole weekend. And so I was pretty much in the hospital. And my husband was there with me, you know. But, yeah, I think, when, I don't know if you, yeah, you, your daughter was in the NICU, but um, in the NICU, they do ran. Or in the morning, all the doctors that take care of your child and meet up and talk to you about what the plan is, you and know, when you can go home and et cetera. And I remember the specific doctor telling me that she was going to be okay. Like, she, and it was a resident doctor. When she... I remember the first time I went into Nikkiu for rounds that morning. She came up to me and she said, "She'll be okay," you know. And I'm like, "How do you know she'll be okay?" And she, she's like, "Oh, she, she's been such a strong baby until this point." Huh? And that was like, I don't know, it was really good for me to hear. Like, a lot of time, I'm sure. When you think about Nicky, you think about Baby dying or not making. So. Yeah, so I think that's kind of been our journey, but um, with Abigail, her struggle, the bigger she got in the NICU, she started to have episodes where her oxygen would drop, and it got to the point where her oxygen was dropping to the 20s and 10s, and she was turning blue. Wow. And obviously, without her, heart rate would come down, and I remember the first time it happened, it was the first, so it was the first time I had gone whole, because at UVA, there's a charity home It's called the Lissa House. Uh, I've heard of it. You have? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and I'm so blessed, my family has been so blessed that we have been able to stay there anytime Abigail has had to be impatient for a while. Um, and so we stayed at the Lissa House for three months. Abigail was in the queue, but it was just me and my son. And, you know, my mom will come visit every once in a while because my mother lives on the floor, like I mentioned before. So it was really me and Gunner, And so I would hire a babysitter to watch him four hours in the morning. That way I could go to the NICU, be there for a round, and then head back to Alyssa House. And my husband will come on the weekend. So I think for me, kind of juggle lot with tour, you know, because I was juggling with Gunner, you know, having need of his home. But I had to go also needing helped too, so it was hard for me to be there for both of them. Mentally, it was exhausting. Mm. I had a lot of sleepless nights and you know, a lot of crying and like that. Um, I have to do it all by myself. You know, and I feel like our society expects women to do it all by themselves. Like we have some kind of superpower.
1: We're gonna wrap up part one of Adriana's story. Tune in next week to hear more. Thank you again, everyone, for tuning in today. We kindly ask you to head over to your favorite podcasting platform to leave us a review. It really helps with searchability and finding different podcasts. This is your host, Kathy Garrett, and you've been listening to the Birth Trauma Stories podcast, where we're holding space and finding light after perinatal trauma. Bye-bye.